0: Ready whenever you are. Ready?
1: Well, we've got Redskins news, we've got Nationals news. The NBA Finals has come and gone. The MVP of those finals gave a shout-out to the DC area, so there's a whole lot to get to when it comes to DC Sports Nick. And I'm also back from a wedding and I'm not 21 anymore. Hello, sir.
0: That's just the only thing I care about. You gave a best man speech. I want to know what you said, because we went over this. We went over criteria. I wanted you to kind of go to the edge a little bit with it, push the envelope just a little bit. How far did you actually go with it? Because you told the story about your friend ending up on the wrong campus. Yeah, that was it like the girls school campus or whatever it was. Did you tell that whole story or at least part of it?
1: So people might be wondering, Nick, why there was no podcast last week i made the executive decision after listening to the entire story that i laid out i'm like you know what i used his name i used that college i probably shouldn't have posted this he is I was he I is a see, student he he is a teacher we,
0: yeah <laughs> wondering why I didn't see a tweet. So that's good. So, so I do. I guess we'll have to give the PG-13 story again.
1: I do apologize. Uh, I just didn't want to use names and specifics because not that it would get back to him, but if it were to get back to him, especially last week being before the wedding, I just didn't want anything to disrupt what was going on. So I uh, well, my get my
0: guess is then that you probably didn't use any of that in the speech if you took the podcast down because of it.
1: Uh, so on Friday night after the rehearsal dinner, I told the entire story at the bar that night with all the guys there, his boys from high school. And it was it was great. You know, unfiltered version gave the direct quotes uh, from from the groom. Uh, one in which he said, uh, it was your lifelong dream to be, insert that college, police officer. Um, <laughs> so it was, that was great. And uh, I did make one mention of it. I said, when we talked about the, when me and uh, Bill, my buddy, got, or yeah. became best buds, um, we were uh, on the fourth team of Muhlenberg's basketball team. Yes, fourth team. Uh, we basically did nothing every practice. We sat on the that's sidelines, a thing? yeah, because there were 17 players, so we had a first, second, third, and a fourth. And me and him <laughs> were that fourth team. And at random points, said like, "Oh yeah, why don't you guys get involved by jumping in there?" So we
0: <laughs> go take a charge.
1: So basically, that's how we became best buds. Was just hanging out on the sidelines and you know talking about random stuff as as college guys do, and uh, we we became we realized that we have a, a, a unique skill set of quoting movie lines and uh, we would do that and we would talk about sports and, and all that stuff. So that's kind of how we became uh, best good friends to steal a line from Forrest Gump. Uh, the The one mention I did make of that story was after I said a line from Tommy Boy where we're brothers and we're going to be doing lots of stupid stuff together. I did mention getting lost on a neighboring college campus. That was the only <laughs> mention I did. It got a big laugh out of him. He was nervous. So the the order went, father of the bride, maid of honor, right. me, and the other best man. So I guess they wanted to make sure that the high school best man, So I was, I was one of the best men. And right. it was a Yeah, meet. it was a
0: co co best man, right? Remember you saying it was two. Yeah. So yeah, yeah.
1: I'm the college best bud and he and he had a high school best friend actually from grade school. So I, I guess they wanted the uh, the the reassurance of if it went awry that he could pull the uh, the <laughs> Vince Vaughn move where you snagged the <laughs> microphone out of my hands. But well, no my
0: friend Tim is trying to stay here.
1: Right. but it did work well. Um, I reached out to his mom ahead of time and I got his varsity letterman jacket and his wife picked out these suits and we bought suits and they were, they were sweet. They were Navy blue suits and uh, we wore those and I got up there and I said, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable. You mind if I change real quick? And I took off my jacket. I walked over another one of the groomsmen took the Letterman jacket from underneath the table, put it on. So that got a bit of a a roar from the crowd. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, went into it a couple jokes. Uh, I'll say this. I've done now three best man speeches. My brother, uh, my buddy last year down in Puerto Rico, and this one. And this one was by far the best. And it was the only one in which people came up to me as the night went on And said, "Hey, that was a really good speech. It was funny. You know, a couple people wanted to know about the inside jokes because I told this (laughs) elaborate story. You know, you got to make it sentimental, Nick. Right? You you got to.
0: You have a little bit, yeah. You definitely have to bring something else in there because you you can roast them, but then you kind of have to bring it back at the end so you don't come across as just a complete dick. Right. But it's hard sometimes because it's a lot more fun to kind of tell the stories and roast your friend." Guys are jerks. Like really, I know. We, we're better. We're better at just making fun of each other than actually saying nice things to each other.
1: So the the way I kind of brought it all back together was, my buddy Bill, was one of the fortunate ones to have a, a single as a freshman, and he is now in his entire life only shared a room with two people, me, really? me, sophomore year, and his wife. That is it. Wow. So. Not bad. I said the one thing that I've learned, and this was to start the speech, was that when Bill is tired, when he's ready to go to bed, ain't nothing stopping him. He's he's <laughs> on a mission. And his wife looked at me and she's like, yeah, absolutely, 100%. So as the story went on, you know, I told him, I, I mentioned that, you know, we're brothers, we do stupid stuff together, kind of laid out a couple bullet points, some inside jokes, talked, uh, you know, looked at his sister. And, you know, we went out to visit her at college and it was a, a wild night. Um, so there were a couple inside jokes there, um, and then I said that brings me to a particular Saturday night in college, and to kind of not give the the nitty gritty details, my my wife and I got in a fight. My wife now and my and uh, got in a fight, and we were just dating for two weeks. We had just gotten back from the bar, and Bill went straight up to bed, closed the door, night over. Bill's not getting up till the morning. <laughs> My wife and I got in this fight, and she left. And I decided to, instead of chasing her, be destructive, as you could attest to, Nick. I do get a little destructive at times. I've
0: seen you, yeah. Usually it involves the Nats bullpen, though. So <laughs> exactly. So nice that this is a different reason for once.
1: So Bill, out of his slumber, remember how I started the story, how when he's tired, it's game over. He got, yep. he got out of it. He came out of his room. Came down the stairs, didn't say a word to me, left the house, chased her down 20 minutes later, came back with the girl. And uh, so that was kind of how I tied it all together, how, you know, we're we're best buds and all that stuff. So um, and then I and then I ended with a a Backstreet Boys quote, uh, you are my fire, my one and only desire. So that's kind of Oh wow. That
0: that's. That's corny yet beautiful all at the same well, time.
1: Well, it's also an inside joke. We at in college, as cool as we were, as like at three o'clock in the morning, oh. we would always turn that song on and just go crazy. And so I, I I left that there. And also the first time I had met his wife was at a wedding for another one of my buddies. She was the maid of honor, and she rapped, and she did an awesome job. So I was like, I'm not gonna rap, but I left yeah. her, but I left her with that. Uh, exact quote. So yeah, it, it worked out well. I think it was not too lengthy. I think it was about like probably about five to six minutes. So it was a little longer, but it wasn't, uh, it didn't drag. There was no, you know, there was no ums and ahs. I did read off of a script. So that was, so that was good. It was, uh, I was more prepared for this one than the other two. And I thought it went well. So it wasn't disaster. The whole wedding was, was great. Um, there was no, uh, nobody puked on the dance floor. There was no uh, everyone said I do. So, yeah, so far so good. Have you ever been to a wedding where the best man or maid of honor speech was was a disaster?
0: Yeah, I have. I went to one a couple of years ago and the guy spent half the time like doing shout-outs to the crowd. No, he just geez. isn't a good public speaker, so you wanted to give him a little bit of like a little bit of leeway, but then it was one of those things where you're like, just realize to cut the cord, man. Like that's all you need to do. He would like give shout-outs to other people that had gotten engaged like my wife and I, we were engaged at the time. Hey, they just got engaged and everybody's like awkwardly clapping. Like we knew he'd be a little bit awkward because he's just kind of a goof and he's not a good public speaker, but it was, it was definitely awkward. It, it, it could have been worse. It wasn't like movie style awkward where, like you said, it was old school and it's what my friend Mitch is trying to say here and you have to cut him off and it wasn't that bad. But, yes, I, I've definitely seen those before. And there's nothing more uncomfortable than that because, you know, you can't do anything. You can't say anything. You want to try to find a way to almost help the guy. But then you're also just hoping that the whole damn thing ends and you don't have to worry about it anymore because it's incredibly awkward. So, yeah, it's one of those weird things. But, like, I feel like it's different with guys and girls because when a guy gives a best man speech, you have to be, like you said, you have to be funny. You have to kind of roast him a little bit. You have to be a little more creative. I feel like a lot of times when you get the maid of honor giving her speech, it's much more sentimental. It's a little bit more poetic. It's usually worded better because women are better with that kind of stuff and saying how they feel. than guys are, let's be totally honest with ourselves. And then they usually have it all prepared, like you said, in a script or like note cards or, or something. And it's. It's just it's always very different from weddings that I've been to between the maid of honor and then the uh you know the best man it's 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 weird but guys just we have different expectations on us when we have to give a best man speech
1: no you're hundred percent right there is that expectation of like okay yeah that was nice but now the best man is here yeah and you got to make me laugh
0: <laughs> you've got to be a stand-up comedian yeah. it, it's it's ridiculous the pressure that's on you it's it's very nerve-wracking very nerve-wracking
1: I was happy this was my third I had learned. I had evolved. I, You know, uh, it's funny. I, it, it ended up being four pages, Nick, but this is a little inside baseball. The reason it was so long, I don't write in paragraphs anymore. I'm so used to writing updates. If you looked at my script that I wrote out, it's sentence, enter down, sentence, enter <laughs> down, because that's that's how we write. That's how I've I been know. writing for, for years. You know, you know. write updates that way. So it was four pages, and and you mentioned, you know, the maid of honor did a very nice job. There were a couple, you know, a couple jokes in there, but it was a much more heartfelt, sentimental. And she had the cue cards, and then she like placed them down nicely. You know, I had I had my pages of paper, and uh, when I finished the with first, your terrible,
0: paper, with your terrible handwriting on, you t- at least you talked, it? you so I typed it out. I guess that wouldn't be the I case. I typed it though, out,
1: so. and I just, I, and when I finished the page, I just kind of threw it in the air. And then, you know, that, that got, do, that got you gotta a laugh do the
0: around the horn paper toss. That yeah. Tony reality does just yeah. crumble it up and throw it. Yeah.
1: So no, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, You know, he's, he's my best bud in the world. So it was, you know, it was nice to, to have a good one and, uh, and people seem to enjoy it. So that was good. So uh, it, it all ended up well in, in all likelihood, Nick, this will be the finale. This is the final one for me. Third time's the yes. charm. I don't foresee any other speeches other than, you know, if I, have a daughter in a couple of weeks uh, if she, you know, when she gets married, that speech. But that uh, that's a little ways down the road. So uh, I think – Are you this,
0: closing in now? Is it that close for you now, a couple weeks? Two weeks, man. Two wow. weeks from the due date. Yeah. Tim Murray's going to be a daddy. This yeah. is crazy.
1: Yeah, it hit me. You know, when you look at – I don't know how if, if you did it uh, when you were getting married and, you know, you had like three weddings before your wedding, and then when that final wedding hits, you're like, oh – it's real I'm next. Now. Yeah. So yeah,
0: I'm trying to think. So, yeah, I think it was Well, we were in April. So there wasn't any wedding before us last year. But I do remember having that feeling, at least of when we were engaged and having been to, uh, you know, the, the you know, the last wedding, like you said, before ours. And, yeah, you do get that feeling. But it really kicks in where it's like the last few weeks before, like after the bachelor party. Then you're like, OK, next up. Is the wedding? So yeah, for you, it's got to be like okay. Next up is the kid. Here we go. Yeah,
1: yeah. This was the last kind of marker on our calendar before baby time. So, you know, it was it's go time now. So it 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 could be any day. Um, my wife's got a gut feeling that it's going to be a little bit late. So Uh maybe a July baby, but we will see. Yeah, I mean, it's we're we're in prime go time. So we will. We will absolutely uh, see what happens. It's so
0: weird, man, because it's like like my younger brother and his wife just had a baby, and he's my younger brother, and mm-hmm. I still look at him as like my younger brother. Like I don't look at him as someone that's almost thirty years old, you know, with a child that's been, you know, in the military and defended our country and like is a grown up and adult and really mature. I still look at him as my little brother, even though he has, <laughs> he has a, he's raising a life form on top of that. It's it's just. <laughs> It's weird. It's like you get told that this kind of stuff is going to happen, but it's still weird once you experience the growing up process, you know,
1: everyone asks, are you ready? I'm like, doesn't matter. No. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's no choice. Nothing's yeah. coming out no matter what. So, yeah,
1: I mean, and, 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 and I'm, you know, we're ready in the sense of the room's ready. We got clothes and we got, you know, all the, you know, bells and whistles, you know, car seats and all that stuff. But nobody's really ready until that thing, you know, until it, till yep. it's here. So that's the kind of way I'm like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not ready. I don't know. You know, I, I've taken yeah. care of a dog, but that's not the same thing.
0: <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely not. There's a lot more responsibility with a human being, I think.
1: All right, a couple things uh, to get to in the sports world. I guess we can do that here on a sports podcast, Nick. Sure, uh, NBA not? Finals comes to a close last night. Kevin Durant is... Your NBA Finals MVP. Where do you want to start? There are so many different avenues you can go. There was the end of the game quote that he had, uh, Kevin Durant had with Doris Burke, where he gave the yeah. shout out to the DC area, um, which I put it up on Twitter. And by the way, people can always tweet us, Nick, at one Tim Murray and at Nick Ashew, A S H O O H. He dropped a everybody in Seat Pleasant, everybody in PG County, Maryland, everybody in DC. Virginia. And then he you know, went on to say, like, y'all have been with me the entire time. And I'm just right. sitting there saying, hmm, I wonder how this is going to go over. I have never had anything retweeted more in my life. People took this and ran with it. It was kind of a mixed bag. You know, some people said, you know, bleep you. Some people said, hell yeah, <laughs> shout out to to PG County. We did it. You grew up in our backyard, and now you're a champion. You know, you made it from from a hard life to, to where you are now. I didn't really have a problem with it. He was giving a shout out to his hometown. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to stiff it to, hey, Wizards fans, I didn't go home, but now I'm a champion. I, I guess personally I looked at it as – You know what? He's just kind of giving a shout out to his hometown. He's always had an affinity to uh, to the D.C. area. You and I have had the conversation countless amount of times that it wasn't going to happen. He didn't want to come home. Some people don't want to come home. So personally, I didn't really have that big of an issue with him giving a shout out to his hometown. He's been, you know, like all of us. Or yeah, but
0: you you knew this was you knew people would get offended by this no matter what because. That's what Twitter brings. Twitter Twitter brings out the stupid people, the crazy people, the angry people. Look, man, ultimately, do you think Kevin Durant woke up today and said, "Oh, this championship just feels so watered down." Uh, no! <laughs> no. He won an NBA title and he's happy. This is all that matters. He went there to win. He's not the first guy to team up with other players to win a championship. Guess what? He didn't ride the coattails. He was the MVP. He was the leader. He was the best player on the Warriors in that series, hands down, no question. He was, now the consideration is, is he now the best player in the NBA? He earned this, plain and simple. Did he have other talent around him? Yes. But you know what? I mean, go back in history. I was thinking about this last night, Tim. Like, we forget that, like, Carl Malone and Gary Payton did that at the very, very, very end mm-hmm. of their career with the Lakers.
1: Charles Barkley And Gary did
0: Payton it. had to keep going. Gary Payton, Carl didn't even win it. Gary Payton at least wanted with the heat even later in his career. But, like, players for their entire lives have always wanted to win a championship. And if it comes down to it and they see an opportunity where they have a better chance to be more successful somewhere else, they take it. And I know we've beaten this topic to death because it's all anybody's talked about this year. The thing that really stands out to me, though, is that LeBron – I actually – like, the images of certain players in this series have changed over the last three years. Obviously, Durant's there for the first year. He became the villain. LeBron's become the victim Steph Curry's kind of become the petulant child with the was he pooping on the logo and you know is he whining more than usual you started to hear rumblings of people saying things like that but Tim think about LeBron James right now this is a guy that's now going to likely be the victim of an era we always talk about players being the victims of certain eras certain players not winning championships during the Jordan era for example LeBron James is now the victim of the Golden State Warriors super super team era. Now, it may not last a decade. It probably won't be able to because of money and the salary cap and luxury tax. And I'm still convinced that Klay Thompson will find a way to eventually want to go somewhere else and be the man because he's become the forgotten guy on this team in a lot of ways, fair or not. it's just he's seems like he's fourth on the depth chart in terms of the way people recognize the talent on that team, which shouldn't be the case, but it is. LeBron James is now sitting there going, how the hell am I going to get through these guys? I got probably at least four years of this because they'll at least for a little while, guys like Curry and Durant, look to take at least a little less money so they can keep this thing together before it all breaks up. And the Warriors have to pay, literally, I've seen the numbers, $1.3 billion in salary and luxury tax in, I think, four years. It was from the vertical. The vertical put that out. So LeBron James, his second tenure with Cleveland is likely going to be watered down because he can't get through this buzzsaw that they have in Golden State right now. And, and it's, you know, if you're not rooting for him, that's fine. But I think just from an NBA fan's perspective, and a, I want to get the best product I can get, we aren't going to see it probably as many titles for LeBron James now as it could have been had this not happened.
1: At least he got it last year, because if, yeah. he, if he didn't get it last yep. year, oh boy, you know? Yeah. And... Uh, You know, you mentioned Clay Thompson. I agree. You know, he's got two more years on this contract where he's going to get paid well, 17.8 next year and 18.9 the following. Then he's an unrestricted free agent in 2019. In likelihood, I'm not crazy for saying this, Nick. I think most people agree. He'll probably have four rings. Yeah. At that point, go do your thing, man. Yeah. You'll be 29 years old. Go be the man somewhere else because I agree with you. You know, Clay Thompson gets overlooked and... You know, he has a poor offensive game, and people are like, oh, what's wrong with Klay Thompson? When we forget that he was, you know, spectacular defensively. And there were moments last night uh, where it showed how good of a defender Klay Thompson is when LeBron would sometimes fade away, you know, have that fadeaway jumper instead of taking him right to the hole. And he would take Andre Iguodala off the dribble almost every time, and he would take Steph Curry off the dribble every time. But when Klay Thompson was on him, I give him a lot of credit. He bodied him up. And even though he probably could have, LeBron could have taken him to the hole, um, he's a really good defender. And I think that gets overlooked. Um, I'll say this. You know, now because of Paul Pierce and his proclamation that Kevin Durant has been handed the torch as the best player in the NBA, look, I'm not here to crap on Kevin Durant. The guy was phenomenal in these finals. He was the MVP. There's no doubt. 30-plus in every single game. Incredible. You know, the second most points in a five-game series, just two points less than Allen Iverson had when the Sixers, uh, what, lost to the... Was that the Lakers? They lost to the Lakers, right? Um, Yep, yeah. But let's pump the brakes, Paul Pierce. And and, and I know you're trying to, you know, make your name in in, in the media, and I think he's done a pretty good job on the set with Chauncey Billups and Jalen Rose and and Michelle Beadle. I've actually enjoyed it. But LeBron... Kevin Durant has such an easier job right now than LeBron does. I'm not saying that he's bad at his job. I think he's the second best player in the world, but LeBron averaged a triple-double in this series. He guarded Kevin Durant. Who guarded LeBron? It was Andre Iguodala, it was Klay Thompson. Kevin Durant was rarely guarding him. That wasn't his main responsibility. As good as he is, this is the easiest he's ever had it because of the other people on that team and he talked about it after the game, Nick. He talked about how, you know, it it took a little bit for him to get used to because there would be nights where Steph Curry would go off for 10 to 15 threes. There would be nights where Clay would have a 60 point game or Draymond Green would have a triple double. That took some time to get used to, but it, it doesn't it take a ton off the shoulders of Kevin Durant where he can just ball out and be who he is and hit deep threes. I love Kevin Durant. I love his game. It's something we've never seen before, a seven-footer with that type of range and that type of quickness, but LeBron James continues to prove that he is the best player in the world when you drop 41 and you average a triple-double for the NBA Finals when you are that team because Kyrie Irving was nothing in the second half last night. He was terrible. I know he was a little bit banged up, but LeBron was that team last night and, in my opinion, still the best player in the world.
0: Well, you know, it it shows how efficient Kevin Durant can be in terms of the amount of points that he can score and the shots that he takes versus what he did in Oklahoma City. And we know what Russell Westbrook was. I mean, he was a guy that would go out there and take a ton of shots. He was never efficient, and it took the flow away from the game. So Durant is certainly benefiting because of the way that this offense is, the way that the rest of the team plays. The way that they have this chemistry and this ability to play defense and turn that into offense quickly the other way. I mean, there's just there's no other team like the Warriors in the NBA. So yeah, it certainly boosts Kevin Durant's stats in that sense. Not that he hasn't put up huge numbers before he got to Golden State, but the efficiencies there, the the ability to take some of that pressure off of him where he doesn't like. I mean, again, you watch it, and it's like Durant can have a bad game, but you still have Klay Thompson and Steph Curry to worry about shooting. And then even Draymond Green can do something. They have four guys that can take over a game. Draymond Green obviously is slightly different in his game in that sense, but there's a lot of players you have to worry about on Golden State, and it's not what he had to deal with in in Oklahoma City. And, yeah, it's not what the Cavs have. Like, look at this. Man, I look at that Cavs roster, and other than LeBron James, is there anybody else on that team that you can look at and say, I know what I'm going to get from them every single game, every single night? You don't. I mean, J.R. Smith could go 5-for-5 from threes. He could do what he did last night and just knock down ridiculous shots or 1-for-8 and completely disappear. We saw that early in the series. Same thing with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving goes off for these ridiculous scoring games, but then he also can completely disappear at times. I mean, they're the best teams in the NBA, the most consistent teams in the NBA that that create this longevity of success. And I know and this example is going to be sort of the outlier because of what they were able to do for so long, but it is the, you know, the Spurs are one of those teams that I look at where I say, you always knew what you would get from Tim Duncan. Now it's Kawhi Leonard. You always know what you're going to get from Kawhi Leonard. LaMarcus Aldridge is a little hit or miss at times there, but you had Tony Parker in his prime doing that, Manu Ginobili, like all those guys, you knew generally what you were going to get. And if they struggled, maybe shooting, they were able to do other things. They were able to play defense. They were able to get other players, the ball. You don't have that with that Cavs team. And for the most part, you, you, we've, we've had inconsistencies with guys like Clay Thompson shooting. But you know you're still going to get defense from him. So it still makes him incredibly valuable. And that's why I, I just – you look at the Warriors versus the Cavs, and there's a lot of guys on the Cavs where it's like these flashy players that don't really have that consistency. Like Amon Shumpert, too. It's another guy. You just – you don't know what you're going to get from them night in and night out besides LeBron James.
1: I just, you know, when you look at this Cavs team and uh, who knows what happens with the Celtics this offseason, if they get a guy like Gordon Hayward, um, if they trade for Jimmy Butler, if they just stay pat and get Markel Fultz and then add some other piece. I still look at this Cavs team as the best team in the East next year. After next year, who knows if the Celtics continue to get better. They've got a a great coach in Brad Stevens. But I don't know if there's anything – that the Cavaliers can do with their salary cap situation, Nick, that can get them over the hump to really compete with this Warriors team if they stand pat because this Cavaliers team is really good. Is the second best team in the league, but this this Warriors team is historically good. And if they continue to play at this rate and they continue to be this unselfish and this, you know, and, and work the ball around the perimeter and take advantage. Look, the tactic last night for the Cavaliers was we're gonna double team Steph Curry? We're gonna double team Kevin Durant. When that happened, Steph Curry would just would find the open man and would lead to a, a back cut dunk. I mean, this team is so efficient offensively and is unselfish that I don't think there's anything. And I know people are talking about, oh, do you trade Kevin Love? Do you trade? Well, that would be guess. my guess.
0: I could see them doing that and maybe going after somebody like Melo. They're not gonna. But get defense, but, but Melo doesn't. Does
1: Melo make them better?
0: He makes them he makes them more potent offensively to run with. The now Warriors, they're so I much guess, smaller,
1: but, though. I mean, right. look, Kevin Love played like crap last night, and, and there's no way around it. But let, let's not forget what he did in the Eastern Conference Finals. He was phenomenal in the Eastern Conference Finals.
0: So they, well, the thing with Melo too, if you go back and look, like when the Knicks actually put him at the four, he actually plays better. He he makes it more difficult for the guy defending him because he is a little bit smaller. So. Yeah, it makes them smaller in that sense, but, I mean, for the most part, that's the Warriors. They just have to get some guys that can play defense. They need to add some some younger guys to their bench. They need to add players that can protect the rim. They need guys that can play transition defense because, good Lord, the Cavs had no idea what transition defense was at all this series, let alone, you know, even during the rest of the playoffs in the regular season. They just breezed through the Eastern Conference. They've got to find another guy that can be a consistent scorer, and they've got to add defense. If they can do that they might be able to find a way to compete with this Warriors team. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough because don't think that the Warriors aren't going to get better. Like, let's say David West decides he wants to retire. He got his championship. Well, there's going to be another veteran that's going to come in there that's going to say, I'll take the minimum. I just want to play with you guys, and I want to win. So don't think that the Warriors are going to stand pat with the exact roster they have now, too. There's going to be a lot of retooling. There's going to be decisions with Durant and Curry in terms of their contracts, and those guys will probably take some discounts to be able to fit other players on that roster and there's at that point, what do you do if you're the Caps? There's only so much you can do.
1: A couple things from last night: uh, the sluggishness of the first quarter with the tight whistle. You know, Kevin Love gets a couple fouls less than three minutes into the game. Draymond and yeah. Clay Thompson had a couple fouls. Uh, I think five minutes into the game yesterday. But the one play that I think was was such a a, a key moment in the game was LeBron's ridiculous dunk on the break to make it 41-33 from Darren Williams after the board. They ran out. It was a two-on-one. LeBron gets that dunk on Durant, and Durant hit him in the head. And they, call yeah. it, they didn't call it a foul. And, Nick, that would have been foul number three on Kevin Durant with 10 minutes to go in the quarter. He likely goes to the bench maybe for the remainder of the half. He stays in because he's only got two fouls. And then they respond by going on a 28-4 run. And everyone, Tim Donaghy goes on KNBR, oh, the refs are going are, are gonna to want this game to go, you know, want this series to go to game six. Get the hell out of here. That, that was a blatant miscall. call. I'm not saying it was a conspiracy theory, but that was a horrible no call. And that really was, was pivotal for the Cavaliers because if that's a foul – it's 42-33, to 33, and Kevin Durant's out the remainder of the first half. Instead, it's 41-33. He stays in, and they go on this ridiculous run. That was a huge no-call in the game.
0: You know, it, it, watching this game, really this whole series, other than Game 3, which was just mind-blowing, and we'll never see anything like that again, what the Cavs did. Yeah. I always felt like watching the Cavs, they were, it was like two boxers, and one was putting all the effort he could in every single right hook and uppercut and swing, and then the Warriors were the, the boxer that was – they were taking those hits. They were taking those hits. They were saving their energy. And you knew eventually they were just going to put an onslaught of punches in there and just destroy the Cavs. The entire time, I always felt like there was that point where the, the Warriors were going to go on some sort of run. We saw it in games one and two, not in game three – or, I'm sorry, game four, game four. And then you get to that point where I'm watching game five last night and you're saying, at some point, I know the Cavs are hanging on right here, but they just don't seem to have the endurance – or the ability to stick with this Warriors team the entire 48 minutes, and that's exactly what happens. The Warriors use runs, they're able, they just move the ball, man, they move the ball like the Harlem Globetrotters. It's unbelievable the way they all see the court, the chemistry these guys have, the court vision, the basketball IQ, the ability to take their defense and turn it into quick offense just like that. I mean, it's amazing. So, you, you just, you're almost on the edge of your seat watching it going, all right, when's this run coming? There's no way the Cavs keep this going, and it's You can tell that they were thinking the same thing because the minute those runs started to happen, especially once we started getting to the fourth quarter and Golden State started pulling away again, they did it multiple times in the game. But you just you watch the body language of the Cavs going, we got nothing. I can't do this. We can't beat these guys. And you could just tell they were outmatched physically and mentally.
1: What did you think of the uh, the makeout session we had between Tristan Thompson (laughs) and David West?
0: It was so great. It was hilarious. Yeah, I tweeted out a picture. I just put a bunch of like kissy face emojis and hearts and like one that said Bay next to it. Huh. And I just I just changed the picture. I was like, you know, I saw this differently than the refs, I guess. I, the replay was just so awkward. You're watching it. And I'm like, I don't think they intended to get that close necessarily to each other. I don't know how Chloe feels about this right now, but, <laughs> you know, hey, look, Tristan Thompson played well. He did. He was aggressive. He did. Watching him put the I mean, watching him in the first quarter put the ball on the floor and actually just drive to the rim. It looked really awkward. You could tell he wasn't used to it, but it was still really funny to see him do it. But yeah, they needed that because game four, that really helped with the fact that he was, you know, he was dominating the offensive boards. He was creating second chances for them in game four. And you know, game five, he started to look for his shot a little bit too, and it, it created another weapon for Cleveland, and that's what helped him for a while in that game. It just Again, it didn't last. If you're counting on Tristan Thompson to be an offensive weapon for you, you're in big trouble.
1: Well, I'll say this about that play. I don't think it would have altered the outcome of the game, but how was David West not ejected? Because I, You know,
0: I was really surprised, too. I really was that everybody just got one technical. Because
1: he started it. He started yeah. it with the push, the blatant push to Kyrie Irving, and uh, he was teed up. That's the one-off, and then they assessed two technicals on the Cavaliers, which I think was fair because J.R. Smith instigated. But there should have been a double-tech between Tristan Thompson and David West for their makeout sesh, and that would have been two technicals. <laughs> and, and 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 because of that, the Warriors ended up getting a free throw. It's like, how does that work? The Warriors get a free throw for a fight that they started.
0: That, that didn't was, make sense. It was just a very weirdly officiated game, and for the most part, the series. Yeah. I mean, you have... Draymond Green and his Phantoms first technical that he didn't actually get. You have the ridiculous amount of free throws, 22 free throw attempts in the first quarter for Cleveland alone in game four. It was not a good look for the officials, that's for sure. Uh, Yeah, I just – the thing is, I I think – what really got me excited more about that was just seeing the heatedness between the two teams. Now it's a rivalry.
1: Oh yeah. Now we've oh, got yeah. a
0: real rivalry again in the NBA. This is how you create these rivalries. And like we, you know, we've talked about this before where the NBA went through that transitional period where teams that were at the top of their conferences were teams that don't have a really successful history in the NBA like the Cavs, like the Warriors. Obviously, San Antonio was still around in that, so they wouldn't have necessarily counted. You had Oklahoma City even in there for a while when Durant was still there. You know, looking back on the last, let's say, four years, five years, where they'd made the finals once, but they never really gotten to that point. So, like, we had all these teams that don't have the history of the Lakers or the Celtics or. You know, I mean, even the, the Knicks, I guess, but it's been so long we sort of forget what they actually were when they were actually a good franchise. But so it takes time for these rivalries to develop because these teams don't have history with anybody else. This is how you start it. Now we've got it. There's other rivalries certainly developing in the NBA. Wizards, Celtics, not on this level by any stretch of the imagination, but you can see the the pieces starting to fit the puzzle together, and you're seeing the picture come together for that. But right now, there's no question, the best rivalry in the NBA is Cavs-Warriors because of what we've seen now. And it's also not like one side has dominated the other. I know it took seven games, and Cleveland was down 3-1 last year, but they still won. You know, now, so three three NBA finals in a row, Golden State's taken two out of three, but at least each team has won a title against each other, which helps make that rivalry more competitive.
1: I know that these playoffs were not as a whole that entertaining but the one thing i will pull from it was that that narrative of oh these guys are too buddy buddy there's no bad blood multiple teams in this playoffs in these playoffs and and the wizards did it with two different teams the Fal- the hawks to start you know talk about the mma and all that storyline and then the celtics these, there were teams that just truly didn't like each other, and I think that's a yes. good thing for the NBA. You know, as you know, everyone, the narrative of, oh, they don't care, they're not competitive, as much as there were blowouts in these, in these playoffs and as a whole they weren't great, uh, and I, I, I'll concede that, but the thing that I did enjoy was that there really was a competitiveness and a chippiness in a lot of series, and that's something that we haven't seen in a little while.
0: Yeah, we've gotten to the point where you know, it's everybody's been best friends riding banana boats and <laughs> taking pictures with each other on Instagram and yeah, it's nice to see this. I don't I don't want the bad boy pistons to come back. I don't want players Trying to just throw elbows at other guys while they're midair. I don't want to see anybody get hurt because that takes away from the game. If you have star players out because they've been injured or players are suspended, but I want this. I want this competitiveness. I want the chippiness. I want guys up at each other, almost making out with each. Well, maybe not that. Maybe,
1: <laughs> maybe not that far. in each
0: other's faces. Yeah, yeah. That maybe went a little too far. They were a little too close. But I want this. This is good, and every NBA fan should want this because it just shows the competitiveness of these teams and it shows that they actually do care because look, fans are fans will always care more than the players because in the end it is still a job for them. I don't care how much LeBron wants these titles, people in Cleveland want it even more. I'm I've learned enough to know that there are fan and it's not every fan, but there are certain collections of fans out there that are so utterly crazy. And you've seen it, responses Uh just on Twitter where they're so illogically crazy over things, where it consumes them even more than the athletes themselves. Because in the end, you lose a title, still got a nice big house to go back to and big paychecks, and that eases the pain. If you're just a regular old Joe, you don't have that million-dollar mansion, and you don't have all those endorsements, and that is the biggest thing that you could care about. And fans are illogically overly passionate at times for this. And... But to see what we got at least out of these two teams and really the playoffs, like you said, in certain series, it was it was a nice change of pace.
1: Now you mentioned being illogical, and uh, that uh, that's a good uh, transition into a question that I just threw out on Twitter. Watching the, the Predators loss to the Penguins and the Penguins hoisting up the Stanley Cup on the road. And last year, of course, the Cavaliers won in Golden State, game 7, and they celebrated obviously on their court. Nick, if you were in attendance of your team losing a championship clinching game, would you stick around to watch no. a trophy no, ceremony? No.
0: I'm out. Of course not. I'm out of there. My team lost. I don't want any part of that. I was surprised. I mean like I've seen I've seen people do it. I don't there's no way.
1: 62% of my Twitter poll uh, said no. 38% said yes. Some people said if it was the Stanley Cup, they would do it. I I had one opportunity. Um, 2013, the national title when Alabama just curb stopped Notre Dame and it was b- yeah. over before the game started. I stayed the entire game. Game ended. I wasn't going to stick around to watch Nick Saban hoist up that crystal ball. I'm good, man. I, I, and, and look, I, I realize that the crystal ball that they used to have in college football is not the same thing as the Stanley cup, but my team loses, man. I'm out. You know, when I was, it, it wasn't a, 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 a championship clinching game, but I was at game five of the 2012 NLDS against the Cardinals. I was devastated. I think I want to watch some team dance around, hoist a trophy on my field after my team lost. I'm gone, man. I I am out.
0: It's like when people say that they cheer for the team that beat their team in the playoffs to win a championship so it eases the pain. No one does it. <laughs> I want them to get curb stomped just like Notre Dame the next game, the next round, the next series, whatever it is. I can't stand seeing that. I guess some people, it's a, it's a way to, it's a coping mechanism. I don't know. We all we all deal with things differently. I've never understood either one of those things at all. Not, I mean, its it's weird. It just seems like it's, it's twisting the knife. I don't want any part of that whatsoever.
1: couple news and notes. Uh, the Redskins announced that Doug Williams will be the senior VP of player development. Does this do anything for you?
0: So is he going to be getting Bruce Allen coffee, or are they going to at least let the interns <laughs> still do that? Look, we all know Bruce Allen's in charge of this. They can make up all these titles all they want. Bruce Allen's, as we've learned over the past few months, Bruce Allen had more... Control even when Scott McLuhan was there than we would have wanted or we would have liked. So, this is just going to be Bruce Allen's team again. And we could be happy about the draft right now, but make no mistake about it. McLuhan had a lot to do with it because he did the research and created that draft board for them. So, guess what? We'll see what happens after this season. We're going to pretty much have to wait till this year because I'm sure they used a lot of McLuhan's research, a lot of the things that he did do well for the moves they made this offseason, whether it was draft or free agency or whoever. We won't know until next offseason what goes on. So, like, if this team is successful, Tim, this year, let's say the Redskins win nine, ten games, whatever it is. I mean, I, I look at them in more it might maybe a 500 team, but let's just say they exceed those expectations a little bit. Bruce Allen is going to be just patting himself on the back, brushing his shoulders off, smiling, not afraid to give interviews to anybody because, hey, look at the team I built. I'm in charge. I'm in charge of what's happening right now. But then what happens in the offseason? Then he's got to do it all over again. And we'll see what type of responsibility – or maybe we won't. I hope that we'll get an idea of the type of input that guys like Doug Williams will have. I don't know if there will be very much other than it just being a, hey, fans, remember Doug Williams? You love him, right? We're going to give him even more of a title here. I just don't – I don't trust anybody making decisions other than Bruce Allen and Dan Snyder in terms of you telling me that they've got a role or they don't have a role – We know the two guys in charge in that, and it's not – it hasn't worked out well before, and I just see it going back to that same way again.
1: To me, I'm right there with you, you know, and and I think I was guilty of it. You were guilty of it. Everybody was guilty of giving Scott McLuhan maybe too much credit than he deserved. But I also think, you know, the reports that were coming out that, you know, everything was dysfunctional, disaster, I think that was a little too far as well. I think it was somewhere – you know, in the middle. Um this off season, surprisingly, it's got off to that horrible rocky start, has actually been a pretty productive one so far. So that's been right has been a pleasant surprise. Uh, Adam Schefter did tweet this out this morning. I don't know, Nick, if this was a joke at the current administration or if this was a, another low blow at Scott McLuhan. I think it was more the latter, uh, than than someone, you know, joking about, you know, the administration uh, in Congress. But Adam Schefter tweeted out text this morning from Redskins official on teams pending front office changes. Quote, we finally have something in D.C. that doesn't leak information. <laughs> you know, is, you that, a, is that a joke even- or is that Scott McLuhan? I, I, I don't know.
0: I, I thought the same thing. It, it's it, it's It's a timely joke, but I feel like it's one of those double entendres where you're like, we're going to make it seem like it could be a joke about the administration and the presidency and all the different things with the Comey hearings. And, but by the way, we also fired our general manager and hinted that he was doing that, too. So it's a way to sort of get that message out there without directly saying it. So you always have you, you have the benefit of the doubt at that point. You have some sort of way to say, all right, I don't know if that's really what they were trying to say. But there's a reasonable doubt that maybe that was the case. It's, I'll give them this. It's creative.
1: Finally, it's just—it's become a point of just, you know, it's, it's concession right now. It's, it's, it's luck right now because of the division that they're in, and that division is historically, well, maybe not historically bad. It is just awful. But I tweeted it out last night. This Nats bullpen is tragically terrible.
0: It is so
1: bad, Nick. And Dusty Baker, look, you know, when he came to D.C. and became the manager, the knock on him in his previous stops was his tactical moves when it came to the bullpen. There ain't nothing he can do. You know what? You can't blame Dusty Baker one bit for this complete and utter meltdown. Everybody in that bullpen cannot be trusted. You know, Matt Albers last night was just brutal. We won't get into the intricacies because, well, this is a podcast and we don't have to get into you know the little things. But what will stay relevant is that this bullpen is a bleep show. Just schedule
0: your your tweets around the eighth inning for the Nationals and it'll work every single time. Something Hmm. about a bad Nats bullpen and that's all we need. Yeah, Bryce Harper is... Yeah, I don't know if you saw. That. I'm sure well, you probably saw the video, right? With him yeah. angry at the end. I don't blame him. You should be. I'd be frustrated. Max Scherzer, you know, was Here, upset when he got had his lead blown. I mean, it's it's not going to help this team at all. That's for sure.
1: Now let me say this. You know, you know where I stand on Bryce Harper. I'm a, a defender. I I don't understand why people around baseball don't enjoy his competitiveness. So the tweet was put out. Holden Kushner put it out there. He says Nats bullpen breaking. Bryce he may be right but I think he's actually incorrect because remember Bryce Harper made the final out on a fly ball to center field on a pitch that he normally hits 700 feet I think he was I think there is frustration everywhere about this bullpen but I think what we captured right there was Bryce being mad at himself we've seen him and that fire when he doesn't produce for himself and for the team. He hits a walk-off home run there. We talk about the bullpen, but it's happy days because Bryce Harper hits a walk-off home Harper. run. Yeah. So I, I I do think that as much as that has gotten a lot of run and props to Holden for for capturing that moment, but let's also recognize the moment that happened, that he did fly out to end the game and he missed a pitch. It was a pitch that was there, that that could have been crushed. To center field and and it would have been a walk off home run because uh, there had just been an RBI single and Trey Turner was the the tying run and Bryce Harper was the game winning run so I, I don't know uh, if this Nats team is is completely cracking inside because of the bullpen I'm sure it it's getting there and you know Dusty Baker basically yesterday was like I I don't know what I can do uh, you know I he's like we need a lot of help we need to we need to figure this out um, but I I do think that that image of Bryce Harper was maybe uh, taken a bit out of context
0: it's it's just not a good look not 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 a good look for him what I mean it's it's not a good look for the team when you start seeing that they are not in a good position right now well the only
1: the only thing that they are in a good position is they're standing and fortunately if they were in the NL West this would be horrible
0: Right, but you got to remember, I mean, even though, look, I get that they've got a nice cushion in the division, but you still have a team right now that's got a major glaring issue where, yeah, it gives them the cushion because they know, hey, we may blow some games with our bullpen right now, but at least we have the lead in the division. You're not always going to have that cushion. At some point, the playoffs come, and you can't have this in the playoffs. They have to do something.
1: Oh, good God. I mean, this team is not playoff ready in the least bit, and it's it's, it's bad. And here's the thing, too. Look, the Nats right now – you know, the last time I looked, four of their starting pitchers are in the top five of, of innings pitched. That's going to start wearing on these guys, and that could lead yeah. to injuries. You need to, to, for lack of a better term, relieve these guys, and it's just not there. <laughs> um, you know, they, they, they switched Eric Fetty, their top pitching prospect, to the bullpen. His last Yeah, they're seven.
0: definitely prepping him. Oh,
1: he needs to get up now. I know you don't want to <laughs> rush it, but you need him now. I, I'm sorry, you know, you know this guy they drafted yesterday. He, you know, from from the University of Houston, he was like kicked off their team twice. He failed some drug tests. I'm like, you know what? I don't care. Bring him to the major leagues. Put him in there. If he's a disaster, cut him after the season. Who cares? Get him there now because this bullpen is a bleep show, and then to add to it, Coda Glover, you, oh my, I mean, dude, if you tweak your back, I don't care if you're reaching for Old Spice on the bottom of the shower, you gotta tell the team, because it compounds and it becomes a DL stint. Nobody, yeah. at, look, we've all had embarrassing injuries, right Nick? Nobody mm-hmm. wants to tell the coach, tell the trainer, oh I just pulled my back, reaching for the for the body, sp- body sp- uh, spray, but you got to do it, especially if you're a pitcher, because what happened? He blew a save, and then he gets placed on the disabled list. In the end, a silly little injury led to really hurting the team in multiple ways. He's a young guy. You know, he's a tough guy. He doesn't want to look like he's uh, you know, injury prone. But in the end, you got to tell your team. It, it, that's, a, that's, a, that's a huge mistake by Coda Glover.
0: I just, I am just not looking forward to this summer and this constantly being the topic. Yeah. I mean, good lord, it's going to be all summer until they make a trade or somebody comes in and suddenly is able to fix it. Or they call up from the minors. I mean, it's just, it's, it really is. It's already gotten to the point where I'm just, I'm, I'm worn out from it. I really am. It's so. Bad. I was, so um, embarrassing. I
1: was at a wedding uh, as we talked about on Saturday and it was the day game and I looked down at my phone, I didn't really have it on all day. I got my notifications are blowing up because you know, that is kinda of funny that you know people will <laughs> reach out and be like, Oh, another meltdown for the Nats bullpen I'm like, Oh that's it's, a, it's about power for the
0: course. So. It's, about, it's a normal day. It's yeah, a normal day for the Nats in the 7th, 8th, and ninth inning. Yeah, I
1: think, I think you you summed it up pretty uh, – pretty. you hit the nail on the head last night with your tweet, basically. Is, uh, you just have to time your tweets for the 7th and 8th inning. And, it, it, <laughs> and it, it worked out perfectly last night. It was halftime in the NBA Finals. I flip over to watch the meltdown firsthand. So that was – And then you uh, regret it. And
0: then you regret that decision.
1: Immediately. I immediately regret this decision. I
0: immediately regret this decision.
1: Well, Nicholas, we're into the summer months. We've got oh, the NBA draft. That's kind of fun. You and I like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm
0: a, I'm always excited about that. I'll be ready for that.
1: So, uh, and then, and you know what? These are the these are the times when you and I, radio hosts, this is where we make our money. Now, mm-hmm. this is the fun time, yeah. and uh, we'll have to think of some creative, creative topics. But the NBA finals are over. And it's on to the off season. Nicholas, until next week. Timothy, see you buddy. See you folks.